What's going on, y'all? This is Dennis Smith Jr. checking in to let you know that you're listening to Numbers on the Board with Jeff Skin Wade and Bobby Corrales. Oh, yeah. You know what that music means. You know what the mispronunciation of my last name means. Whoop, whoop. It's time to sit back, relax, slip a little little bit of uh, bourbon in your coffee cup. Oh, yeah. And enjoy some Numbers on the Boards, where once a week we talk Mavs, music, movies, and a whole lot of other things that start with the letter M. Mm-hmm. I'm Bobby Corella from Mavs.com, and joining me today is a guy whose pep talk worked on the Cowboys. Yep, yep. Only furthering our BSBS theory, he is Jeff Skinway. Hey, everybody. Man, you just got me excited. Should we talk about bourbon on one of these podcasts? I'm down. Are you a bourbon drinker? I am. There's, uh, I'm not, I don't want to out anybody, but there are some people on this Dallas Maverick staff that are connoisseurs of good bourbon. Is that true? Yeah. You know what? Why don't we send our feelers out and maybe they'll join us and we'll do a special adult drink version of numbers on the boards. Okay. Over the course of like several hours, right? Yeah. Right. Where things just go off the rails. And we'll get a bourbon sponsor. Yeah. Boy, we're really thinking now. Yeah, for sure. Dude, this is the best (laughs) idea we've had yet. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Skin. There's been some basketball played in this last week. Indeed. Uh, Post Thanksgiving. There was a win against OKC in convincing Mm -hmm. fashion. Mm Mm-hmm. There was a very tight loss at San Antonio where the Mavs had a double-digit lead and then the Spurs had a double-digit lead and then it kind of just, you know, came down to the end there. Right. And there was a disappointing, frustrating one at home to Brooklyn. Yep. Where it came down to rebounds at the very end. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a pretty wide range of performances right now. I know it can be frustrating for people who are watching at home to see this kind of stuff happen where it's so many of these games are like the last second and then something happens. Right. What what have you been seeing that's going on, especially in the fourth quarter, second halves of these games? Well, the, you know, the number one thing, I feel, like, I feel like adjustments have been made to really help the Mavericks at beginning of the game and at the beginning of the second half, which were very problematic in the early parts of the season, right? And we, mm-hmm. can, and we can talk about those things. One thing is that, and I said this on, the, on Mavs Live, which is our pre- and post-game show on Fox Sports Southwest. Uh, me and Buck and Dana were talking about you know, what Trevor Booker did in the fourth quarter of that Brooklyn game. And I know, uh, you know, Coach Carlisle and his presser seemed very agitated. I think part of it had to do with, I guarantee you, you look at Brooklyn's record and you look at the Mavericks record, and both teams went into that game going, oh, yeah, we're going to get this one. Okay? So that raises your anticipation. It raises your frustration level, all those things. But Trevor Booker outplayed our big guys in that fourth quarter on the glass. And I don't personally believe it was because our guys weren't trying or the effort wasn't there. Sometimes the other guy gets you. And I steal the classic Jerry Jones line, you know, they pay their players too. And so I understand the frustration level, and I can, uh, you know, totally relate to that. However, I don't think it's one of those things where you kick over a table and you, you know, break something. Because I think that really for the last two weeks for sure, but I think for the most part for the season – the effort has been there. And if the effort is there, it gives you a chance to win the games. And the best example of that is Brooklyn. There's no one clamoring for the quote-unquote talent on that roster. They're not highly touted guys. They play their asses off. Yeah, they do. And so you have to show up and compete whether you know who the hell Dinwiddie is or not. Because you can sit there and go, I don't know who this guy is. Meanwhile, he's kicking your ass. So – that's what happened in that game. But I, I don't think the Mavericks didn't compete. There's things they could have done better. We'll look at that as being the Kleba game and the Powell game. And then at the end of it, you look up, and even though Harrison Barnes had two attempts in the first half, he had a really nice stat line. Yep. But ultimately, 
Brooklyn played their style and they won a tight game. I think the main thing that if I'm a, I want to tell Maverick fans is you're watching competitive basketball. And as they rebuild this team and reshape it for whatever we're going to be post Dirk, because let's face it, we love him, but he ain't going to play till he's 50. Uh, well, he a, might. Don't he rule might. it out. He Don't might. It out. But it's a good direction that I think the team is going in right now. I think it's a good brand of basketball. Yeah, and the, I think the, the main – the biggest thing that frustrates, I think, everybody about close games is that usually it comes down to one or two plays like that. Yep. Like, well, if they just get a rebound and go down and hit a three, then they win. Right. But it's never, like, just about that one play. I mean, they were down by nine or ten points in that fourth quarter. It was yeah. that stuff that happened in the second quarter, in the right. third quarter, in the fourth. Like, there, there are a million plays you can think back to. Like, well, a rebound here, a, a made bucket there, or they get back in transition there. And I think that was just a matter of Brooklyn just – they can take it to teams, man. They yeah. play like a wild way. It's like a science experiment watching them play. It's all it's all layups and threes. And and you know just to kind of like start drawing the lines, their coach Atkinson was with Atlanta before he came there. And you look at Atlanta coming from San Antonio with Coach Bud. And what are we talking about? We're talking about systems. And one of the things that's always amazed people outside of the basketball world is how do the Spurs just plug these guys in? And, and it's like, oh, their stars are sitting and they barely lost or they won. How does this happen? Well, quite honestly, the margins between the guy that got cut and the guy that's a permanent starter are incredibly, incredibly slim. It's intangible things that generally separate these brilliant athletes. I can't tell you how many amazing athletes never made it in the league, right? And so one of the things a place like a San Antonio does, and I think Carlisle does it here, one of the things you'll always hear people say about Carlisle, Harp has been saying it on our broadcast, he gets the most out of what he's given. That's culture, that system, that's all those sorts of things that transcend beyond a player coming and a player going. And so if you get buy-in and the players believe – they have the ability to put them in a position to succeed. The Spurs are an example of that. So, to me, Brooklyn is an example of that. They need more talent. You have to have elite talent to win in the NBA, all right? But the whole point is those margins are so slim. If you maximize what you have, these are professional athletes. If you get them to compete and do what they're supposed to be doing, minimize the errors, then the team that has all the all-stars isn't necessarily going to beat the team of the no-name guys. And that's a reality of professional sports. I think whenever you watch other teams do that, you watch – for example, Boris Diaw go to the Spurs, and he was kind of like a rotation guy, but then he's starting on like one of the best teams ever, that 2014 team that won the championship. Like You see all these other teams do that stuff. It's easy to lose sight of the fact that the Mavs also do that stuff. So I'm happy that you mentioned that. And two guys come to mind immediately whenever you say that Carlisle gets the most out of people. The first is Yogi Ferrell, mm -hmm. who was unemployed and about a week away from playing in Russia last year whenever the Mavs called him, and all of a sudden he ends up making an all-rookie team. Right. The second guy is a guy that's going to be on our podcast later. It's Dwight Powell, uh -huh. who was a second-round draft pick, Yep, got traded. Uh, he was on three different teams before coming to the Mavs. He was the other guy in the trade for Rajon Rondo, a guy that was considered, well, I don't really know what he is. He's a tweener big man. He doesn't have range, and he's not a great rim runner. And all of a sudden now he's kind of doing both. He's shooting threes, kind of improving from three, and he's been amazing at the rim lately. So that's two guys that came in the league. Yogi wasn't even in the league mm -hmm. with – of a kind of an undefinable skill set and now they're producing consistently as part of like one of the best lineups if not the best lineup in basketball with that that five sum of those two with JJ Devin and Dirk 
all guys that are limited by age but that are still contributing at a high level too. I mean, a lot of that is coaching. A lot of I, that is your system. I love talking basketball with you, Bobby, because you bring up these great points, and there's like so many things I want to talk about just within that little thread that you said. Uh, you know, we'll obviously do a lot of talk with Powell um, coming up, but you hit on something there that is the most critical part of player development, and that is coaching and individual player development coaching. And, and the Mavericks have an exceptional staff. They've real, really built it up. I'm sure our listeners have heard us talk about God Sham God or Mike Procopio or these guys that are great player development guys. So Dwight Powell gets here. No one knows what he was. You know, what is this guy? Well, he's an exceptional athlete, which kind of gets back to my point. And he's got great size. Also, Dwight Powell, you'll learn when we have him on here in a second, is very smart. He is. So what – how do you get him from this raw thing into a player that works? You develop him. What's the other part of that equation? Their work ethic. Dwight Powell is a tireless worker. So if you have the frame and the athleticism to begin with, and you put it with, with the work ethic, you will develop into an NBA player. The, if you have the right coaching as well. And all those things are here, right? Especially with a guy like Powell. He's getting great coaching. Like, if you are able to walk – like, so we open up the doors for a 7.30 game at 6 o'clock, and sometimes people come in. If you come in at 6 o'clock, and sometimes people are seeking autographs, but if you just watch what players are working on, you know, because they're out on the court and what they're doing, every day, every game, rather, that you walk in at 6 o'clock, you will see Dwight Powell out there talking to Mike Procopio. He's already put his work in, and now they're just talking. Because another part of development is your mind and your emotions and channeling your energies and all these things, which we've learned with the unique relationship with Holger and Dirk, right? Mm -hmm. It's more than just shooting shots. So much goes into it. So if a guy is receptive and willing to put in the work and wants to be here and be a part of being a great player, he's going to be an NBA rotational player. And Dwight Powell's a great example of that. He is. As a rookie, three points per game, then six, then seven. And at the beginning of the year, he got off to a little bit of a rough start, but lately he's averaging eight, nine, ten points per game. I mean, he's making incremental, you know, process. Yep. Uh, in, in incremental progress, I should say. But considering where he came from, the guy that was taken in the in the latter half of the second round, and now he's playing like third third big man minutes off the bench. I and, mean, he's he's really come a long way. And Bobby, sometimes it just clicks, right? It and does. then suddenly the floodgates open, and we're seeing it now. So. There's been a lot of talk over the last week about a particular lineup that has the best net rating in the NBA, and, and by a gigantic margin. Very wide. And that lineup, and you're the first guy I saw talking about this, and that lineup is Yogi Ferrell, J.J. Barea, Devin Harris, Dwight Powell, Dirk Nowitzki. Now, there's a lot of different variations of things we can talk about, but specifically in this little stretch the, where the Mavericks have played much better. This is going into the, the Nets game. We had this on the broadcast. In the five games going into that game, Dwight Powell is shooting 89.5%, 17 of 19 at the rim. Is that good? It's pretty damn good. Is it? Which that's defined as oh, to two, you know, two feet or less. And it's also like a lot of times these alley-oops that we see, the hard rim, uh, you know, rim run that, that Biggs will do. Mm. All right? Uh, in his previous 21 games leading up to that, which includes obviously a chunk of last year, Dwight Powell was 13 of 21 for 62%. This is significant in a lot of reasons. One, the percentages are higher, the uh, efficiency is higher, the effectiveness is higher. But just think about it. He went from averaging one attempt a game for a 21-game stretch to then over five games, he's getting almost four attempts per game. So what happened? His 
teammates believe in him. They figured out how to play with him. All that hard work is, is paid off. And there's this flurry of incredible effectiveness. And really after any of these five or really six game stretch now where the Mavericks are three and three, one of the main talking points is, wow, did you see what Dwight Powell did tonight? It's all coming together for him. And it's also a good example of player development is about the player having to trust his coaches and to yep. buy into their plan for him. And, and Dwight has been, we're going to talk with him about this too, kind of been jerked around almost as mm-hmm. a pro. He came here as a power forward with limited range. Mm-hmm. Then he was turned into like a hustle big man. And then he was turned into a stretch four. Mm-hmm. And now he's playing rim running five. So with, with a little bit of range too. At the end of last season and earlier in this season, he was playing a lot of four minutes, a lot of, uh, out there with Nerlens or right. with Salah Mejri, uh or with Dirk, but Dwight was the guy that was setting the high screens and staying out there, popping to the perimeter. So he's not getting many looks at the rim. Now, all of a sudden, he's getting a ton of looks at the rim because he's back to doing what he does best, in my opinion, which is that rim running, yes. rolling to the basket. And I think a lot of that is he's okay with trying these new things, but whenever it comes back to doing what he does best, he's ready to go and he's going he's gonna to produce. But also some of that is with its personnel, too. It's about Rick Carlisle recognizing, hey, this guy is really good at doing this one thing. I'm going to put him out there with Dirk, who's the ultimate floor spacer still, yep. even though he's, he's not really a, he, he's not the athlete that he once was, but he can still stand out there and drain Jays on you. And also putting him out there with three six-footers yep. and J.J., Yogi, and Devin, all of them great at getting into the lane, all of them great at attacking. Uh, one thing that I'm, 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 I've seen a lot of progress in with Yogi is – catching the ball on the move toward the basket. I mm-hmm. think that's something he picked up from watching Devin Harris, who's great, great at great making that yes. curl. Yes. Catching on the move. Brooklyn does a lot of that, too. Mm-hmm. A lot of well-coached players do that. They call them wheels a lot of times. Yeah. Like, like a wheel cut. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, coming out. Basically, what, what you're saying is coming out from, you know, under the basket, making this, like, cut toward the top of the perimeter, catching it. But as you catch it, you're already moving toward the basket. Having momentum that's hard for a guy to get in front of and stop. Yeah, because you can't. I can't grab you. I can't stop you if you're doing right. that. Devin and Yogi are great at doing that. JJ is great at getting in the lane and throwing those lobs. So Dwight is all of a sudden out there. Instead of playing power forward with one point guard, he's out there with three point guards who can all get in the lane and throw him these lobs. So yep. it's like it's a match made in heaven. And you look at those five names, you think, how on earth are these guys like the best five-man unit in the NBA? They're outscoring teams by f- almost 50 points per 100 possessions. That is like absurd. It's not even real. And they're playing a ton of minutes. And like every single game, Brooklyn is the exception. I think they were like minus two in that game. Every single game, they're like plus 10, plus 15. It's yep. like, it's crazy. But whenever you look at it as that, and through that lens of these are three guys that can get in the paint and a guy that can go up and pull down anything and throw it down on you, like it, it makes sense. Yeah. It really does make sense. And it's a super perfect lineup to be around Dirk because we all know what Dirk's limitations are athletically now, but all four of those guys are around him are high energy guys. Yep. You know, and so as you said, he's the ultimate floor spacer still. Absolutely. So just think about being a big man out on the floor on defense, and you're worried about protecting the rim when there's a lob to Dwight, but if you leave Dirk, he's going to kill you. One of my favorite things to do from the position I get to watch the game, I'm at midcourt, is whenever there, whenever Dirk hits a wide open three pointer or 19 footer or 20 footer, I always look at the opposing team's head coach. The furious. The furious because the one thing they t- say, go, don't leave him alone. And then the guy in your mind, you're always geared towards, I got to protect the rim, but you can't leave that guy alone. And it's so funny whether it's, you know, whoever it is, you know, I, I, right now in my mind, I, I'm visualizing Thibodeau because he just went ballistic on, <laughs> on Jang the last time they were in here. But it's just like, 
You had one job, one job, and you screwed it up. Don't leave the big German wide open. But it's, it's everything working together and creating these opportunities, and the end result is an incredibly effective lineup. Yeah, and it is amazing that Dirk has been doing that for 20 years, but he's always been at his best doing it when there is a guy like Dwight who can pull these big men toward the basket. So you got two planets out there with their own gravity. This is really dictating the defense. Boy, that was celestial. I like what you oh, said yeah. there. It's out, it was an out-of-this-world metaphor skin. Uh, I think we've done enough talking about Dwight. Do you just want to talk to him himself? Ladies and gentlemen, get on your feet. It's time for Dwight Powell! Joining us on Numbers on the Boards, Mavs big man Dwight Powell, who along with his teammates will be playing tomorrow at American Airlines Center on Star Wars Day. Oh, I'm rocking the shirt. We're ready to go. We're going to defeat evil. Skin, why don't you hold that up and uh, get a good look at that. Yeah, I'm, my lightsaber is red, but I still fight for the, the, uh, the light side. Don't worry about that. Uh, Dwight, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so let's get right down to business. I heard that your dog survived boot camp. Yes, she did. We, uh, we picked her up last night um, in one piece, thankfully. She still recognized us. Uh, we're still kind of working on whether or not uh, she picked up anything, huh. but she, she got home and was pretty tired, so we let her just rest, so today we'll find out. What kind of boots was she wearing when you guys picked her up? White. <laughs> oh, nice. She always wears white boots. Bright white boots, yeah. like wintery boots? Exactly. What kind of dog is it? She is uh, she's a pit mixed with lab, we'll call it. Okay, so a plab. Yeah. Is that, I don't know if that's official or not. I think Pitlador or Labrable, whatever okay. you want to call it. What's her name? Leia, Princess Leia. Uh, so, hey. what a great tie-in. It is. It is. Worked, everything worked out. Yeah. There you go. There you go. R.I.P. By the way. R. Are R. you a Star Wars, Wars nerd? Yeah, I'm a pretty big Star Wars fan. Okay, because I don't know with the with the younger generation. Because like I was, yeah. I was six years old when the first Star Wars movie came out. So. That's my first actual movie experience is seeing the big Imperial cruiser like take up the whole screen, which is an amazing thing when you're six. Like that changes you forever, right? So I grew up with Star Wars, so I'm always real interested when folks that are a couple generations younger than me, how they feel about like Mm. the first three movies that came out that came out in the early 80s and late 70s. Do you like those or are you more of the newer movies? Well, I definitely watched the first, like Star Wars episode one, so I guess the fourth yeah. first, right. and then kind of watched them in order. Okay. So I was lucky enough that by the time I watched the first movie, the fourth movie, I was, it was already digitally enhanced and right, okay. up to date and all that, so it was, it was better probably graphically than, than you saw, so I mean, I enjoyed all of them. Who's your favorite all-time Star Wars character? That's a tough question. Is it? Uh... I guess Darth Vader, just because... Whoa, who saw that coming? That's pretty good. At the end of the day, I mean, the power and the, the kind of arc of his story, it's crucial to the whole So kind Force of Choke is your go-to move then? or what Definitely is? one of my favorites. Nice. Can you imagine <laughs> if a ref makes a bad call and he had that power? <laughs> Do you have a favorite Star Wars character? Uh, Darth Maul is mine. Love you Darth guys Maul. are gangsters, He needs man. more than one movie. He's got a two-sided saber. That's awesome. That is pretty awesome. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Okay, so Dwight, anyone who follows you on uh, Instagram, you're very, you're very candid. You show us a lot of your life. That's how we know that you have dogs, for example. Uh, this summer, you took several trips. One of them was to Egypt. I know you have, like, family or friends over there or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that really that always stands out to me that I just think is a hilarious story or I want to know more about is there's a picture of, like, what looks like a Jeep just like parked on a top of a pile of sand, like in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Yeah. And you said uh, something like roadside assistance isn't as convenient, like when you're in the middle <laughs> of nowhere. So first yeah. off, what happened 
And second off, uh, how long did it take to, to get you out of there? So that was, uh, that was in the desert, and it was on safari. So we left. We were in Fayoum, which is kind of a, like part of Egypt and central, kind of off the coast. And we drove for probably 30 minutes on the highway and then literally took a right turn off the highway into the desert <laughs> for about an hour. And we're just in the middle of nothing. And uh, we had a guide with us in, in his car, in his four-wheeler, and we were driving our own car. So we drove through all the dunes and everything to get to the campsite. And when we got there, um, so the reason I went over there is my best friends, like my family, um, they're Egyptian. So Omar and Ahmed, they're two brothers, and then my other friend Sajad, who's, who was with us, we were all there, and, and Ahmed said, hey, last time I was out here, we went and we drove the dunes. Mm -hmm. And all we have to do is put in four-wheel drive, and, and it'll be good. So, Great idea. <laughs> so the guide parks the car and says, okay, I'm going to go start the fire and start getting a dinner ready. You guys go explore. So Ahmed said, okay, let's go drive these dunes. So he said, hey, just make sure you're being, being careful. If you want to drive the dunes, just I'll, I'll go with you. And I said, oh, I got it. Don't worry. So okay. <laughs> so we get in the car and we literally drove, I want to say, 60 meters up the first dune and stalled. And we're about to roll the car. Oh. So we have to turn the wheel and, and get it all straight. And he's running out like, no, no, keep it going, keep it going. So he kind of like guides us down and the guide brings us back to the camp. And he says, I told you, if you guys want to go, I'll take you. And we're like, okay, take us. So we get in his Jeep and he's doing all these crazy like turns, throwing sand everywhere and we're jumping over the top. And he teaches us there's two types of dunes. In, in the desert. There's ones that are round and there's ones that are like knives. The ones that are round are cool to drive over because it's almost like a ramp and you can kind of land on the other side. The ones that are knives, as it gets later in the evening, you can't see, you can't tell the difference between the top of the dune and the sand behind it. Ah. So it was getting a little late and he thought one of the dunes was round but it was knife and we literally huh. went straight up and just landed right on the top of the dune. And we were giving him all of it because we're like, you told us to go with you. So, we could have screwed this up without exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> so the car stalls, engine smoking, and we're out here taking pictures and <laughs> hanging out. And then we realize, okay, hold on, we're actually stranded in the desert. In the middle of the hottest desert on earth. Literally. And actually, it was getting cold at this point because at night it's freezing. Oh, okay. So it was starting to get dark. And so he, he's running back to camp. He's like basically hiking back to camp to get the other car. And we're just kind of hanging out. But yeah, 30, 40 minutes goes by and we were able to tether it to the other car, pull it off and, and got back at it <laughs> until it got dark. Wow, that's, that's crazy. So I, wanna, I want you to, because I went uh, like four wheeling with my family one time. I'm six feet tall, a thin guy, and it was kind of compact in there. What kind of a Jeep? Because you're a big dude. Oh, it wasn't a Jeep. It was, a, it was like a big four wheel drive like SUV. Okay. So it wasn't specifically right. designed for this. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So y'all are just y'all are just adventuring. Sure. Yeah. We'll call it that. That's I think awesome. skin. I think this story is a metaphor for Dwight. Doesn't feel like he needs coaching. The guy that said, "Let me help oh. you." Dwight's uh -huh. like, "Yeah, forget it. I, I'll, I'll do <laughs> I it got myself. this. I got this." There's some subtext I there. Or? I don't know if that's exactly the subtext. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll just okay. say I'm, I'm willing to take some risks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, speaking of coaching, right? Um, Skin tells a story. He just sees you always with Mike Procopio, the player development coach. I know that you're always working out with him before games, after practice, always sticking around. And I feel like one of the things, like a, your story as a Maverick almost, you've been here since 2014 now. You've been 
a power forward. You've been a hustle center. You've been a stretch four. You've been a rim runner. You've been a stretch five. Like you've done all sorts of these different things that they've asked you to do. You know, they're always, you know, trying to expand your game or, or change your game. And it feels like now, Skin has the stat, I think, what, in the last five games, you're shooting like 90% at the rim. Just like you, you really kind of, seems like you've found your groove lately. And quadruple your attempts per game at the rim from your previous 21 games leading up to it. Look at that. Hey. These are numbers on the boards, man. Yeah. So, I mean, on, on the one hand, it's, like, incredible that they're, that you have come so far. But on the other hand, like, it's got to almost be tough to, like, every time you play, it's like, okay, well, I'm a power forward now. No, I'm going to be a, a rim runner. No, I'm setting screens. Okay, now I'm shooting threes. Like, how tough has it been for you to keep up with all this stuff? Uh, I mean, first and foremost, preparation in this league is about being a pro and approaching every single game the same way. So regardless of what the situation is that's presented to me in the game, I mean, it doesn't change the preparation for the next game or it doesn't change how I prepared for that game. So that being said, me and pro spent a lot of time on a ton of different things um, from rim rolling to ball handling to shooting to, to whatever it may be. So every single day I'm working on things, I would probably say 20 to 30% of the things I work on every single day. I don't necessarily do in the game that follows that, that workout or that game that follows that week. But as time goes on and and things change or we're playing against different matchups or different opponents or rotations change. Those things that may need to be done in a different way or the skill set that I need to bring to the game, it's been a part of the routine since day one. So it's, it's not as if I'm changing anything. It's just those things are constantly being worked on, but they may just be on the shelf for now. So um, me and Pro definitely spent a lot of time on a lot of different things every single day. That's why we have to spend so much time in the gym. Sometimes uh, there's this whole idea of turning a corner. And sometimes you turn a corner and you take off. And then sometimes you turn a corner and you slam into another corner. But something has happened. And I, I just, the reason I went and looked these stats up is because I noticed it just watching the game. And I was like, man, I feel like I have seen more Dwight Powell finishes on alley-oops than I've seen. I'm like in a compact space than I'd seen in forever. And so I wondered, I felt like Berea especially was putting it exactly where you wanted it. Mm. And it's almost like some sort of chemistry clicked with you guys. Did you feel this? Is this coincidental? Is it just a byproduct of the game? What has happened to sort of lead to this recent, you know, six-game stretch where just you've been outstanding in that regard? I mean, absolutely. It's definitely a chemistry thing. The second unit, we've been playing together for a while now. So Mm -hmm. we kind of have a feel for each other's games and, and spending time just even off the quarter in practice, just talking with JJ and Devin specifically about where my hands need to be hmm. before I bring them up or hmm. when I should look, when I should step. Um, Devin does a great job of breaking down exactly what he wants, exactly when he wants me to step because the body language is important of my defender but also of me um, to see where I need the ball. And JJ actually talked to him about it last, like a couple of games ago, his pass is actually too good because almost goaltending on a couple of those basically in the cylinder yes. so it's, it's a legal play but it doesn't look very good because i'm kind of just also you're, you're pushing it down points, to the rim. he throws those from beyond the <laughs> arc you're, you're costing him a three exactly no but the chemistry has been great and, and those guys do such a good job of of being vets and and teaching me and and then reading the plays and, and making the right reads so it's it just makes my job so easy are, are you a uh, this, uh, this is a, a weird question to answer but do you consider yourself a smart guy? Do I consider myself a smart guy? I consider my, myself someone who likes to learn. Yeah. I call it that. Someone who's constantly trying to pick new things up and um, take advantage of situations where I can improve 
I guess, physically, mentally, socially, um, whatever way I can. I, I just remember, like, when you first got here, I'd come to your locker and ask you a couple questions. I remember walking away from your locker, and my, my thought was, that's a bright guy. Like, that's a... Appreciate that. Oh, that that's the way you carry yourself. And so I, I, I'm always wondered, you know, on things like that, is that just your personality, or did... Were you raised a certain way? Have you discovered, like, as you get older, I need to be receptive to things? What do you think leads you to have that sort of personality? Um, I think I was definitely raised to be a lifelong learner. And I'm fortunate to be in a, a profession where you're never going to be perfect. So mm -hmm. there's always steps you can take to improve. Um, but, I mean, I grew up, my mom was taking classes my whole life, um, trying to improve and get different certifications, improve her position at work or some of them had absolutely nothing to do with her job and she just wanted to learn. Um, so that was something I grew up around and something that motivated me to this day to work as hard as possible and, and to never really settle because there's always someone working just as hard or harder and there's always someone who's just as good or better and always someone who's just as smart as smarter. So it's, it's important to continue to, to strive to be better. Yep. It's a smart answer to me, Skin. Yeah. And for those who don't know, Dwight, you went to Stanford for four years, right? Yeah. So I'm sure that you learned plenty there. Decent amount. Is yeah. that why you picked Stanford? Because it has a great education? Uh, per, per, yeah. You know, the perception is obviously it's higher, higher level. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, in my opinion, the best kind of balance of, of extremely high world-class academics and extremely high world-class athletics across the board in all sports. So um, it was an atmosphere that was very competitive on and off the court. Um, between students as well as between basketball players as well as between athletes in general. Um, so it was, it was a good environment to kind of grow in. And one of their biggest moments was I think your senior season uh, went up against Andrew Wiggins' Kansas team in mm -hmm. the second round, and you, yeah. you guys upset them. Mm -hmm. that, and that's two Canadians going at it on, yeah. the, on the biggest stage. Yeah, no, that was a great moment for us. I mean, we hadn't been in the tournament yet, um, my freshman class, so that was – a long four years trying to get there and I mean we hadn't really been ranked or we hadn't we hadn't had any major accomplishments um, as a team other than NIT so to get to that stage and to perform at that level the way we wanted to at least in that game um, it meant a lot for us yeah you, you came to an academy in America before mm. you went to Stanford right IMG yeah okay so uh, I'm curious about the Toronto basketball community mm. it's obviously there's a lot of NBA players now that have come yeah. out of Toronto so what is it like growing up playing basketball in Toronto is it similar to the American AAU system or what is it like there I mean it's it's growing so fast now that the description I'll probably give from my my youth is completely different than it is now because mm -hmm. Growing up, we had so much talent in Toronto, specifically in the suburbs of Toronto and, and like Mississauga and Brampton and areas around. Um, like I couldn't even begin to start listing names of guys that unfortunately you haven't heard of just because we didn't have the exposure back then. Right. Thankfully now, because of guys like Tristan on big stage and, and Corey on a big stage and all these guys that have, have kind of paved the way, especially in the NBA and college, um, now we got younger guys getting ranked in, in high school rankings and even younger. Um, so that's, I think, really important. So that, the scene is now becoming kind of something of its own. Um, so when, when I was young, we had to kind of work our way into the American system, whether it's individually or we had, we had CIA balance, we had Grassroots Canada, and we had those AU programs that we could come down and compete. Um, but now it's, it's almost like we have our own kind of breeding ground and our own kind of farm system that's putting out good players that are not only good by Canadian standards and American standards, but are getting recognized for that, which is the most important thing. Yeah, a couple of years ago, you were in that FIBA Americas tournament, and like, 
the Canada team is like you and Wiggins and Kelly Olenek and mm-hmm. uh, I mean the Corey Joseph, like you said, like there are more and more teams to or more and more guys coming out of Canada to where like maybe in five years like it's not going to be the U.S. just running ragged over everybody. I mean they might. Yeah, we we have a long way to go. We have a lot of talent. We have a lot of young guys. And we just need to continue getting international experience because college is different from high school, just like the NBA is different from college. But international play is different from all of that. So having experience playing against grown men who've been doing it for their whole lives is is a step that we're taking now. And the new FIBA schedule allows us to get a lot of younger guys some experience at that level. Um, But we just need to continue to, to push for that that dream of being on the podium. I want to ask this real quick because I, you know, I've said this. I walk every time I walk into the game. You are sitting next to Mike, you know, Coach Pro. You guys are sitting there talking. I see you guys talking all the time. What are you talking about? You, you got, you got. It's six o'clock. Mm-hmm. The tip isn't an hour and a half. You guys are sitting where you guys are going to sit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes Sham is around. Sometimes just you two guys. Yeah. What are you guys normally talking about an hour and a half before the game? Well, there's definitely not a what we're normally talking about. It's it's really just the word of the day. Um, sometimes we'll go over basketball stuff, but usually it's just whatever's on my mind or whatever's on his mind. Um, I mean, like last game, we're talking about Leia and going to pick her up, uh, stuff like that. But yeah, it's really just whatever. Like you walk by, you'll have no clue what's going on in our conversation if you don't hear from the beginning. Right. <laughs> So one thing that you mentioned just a couple minutes ago was playing with Devin and JJ. These guys are giving you pointers. Pro and Shen God, Shen God always giving you pointers. Like there's a lot of guys here that it seems like it would make it easy for younger guys to come along. And even though you've been in the league now for four or five years, this you're, you're still like a young guy, experience and also age. You're just 26, right? Yeah. Same. So uh, I believe me, I'm still very young too. So. When you're playing with Devin and JJ, it seems like your job would be easier. You're playing with Dirk, it seems like your job would be easier because those guys are so established, they're so smart, so savvy, they know what they're doing. And this lineup with you, those three guys, and Yogi, that, that five-man group, you're outscoring people by almost 50 points per 100 possessions this season, which is, like, absurd. I mean, if you're the Warriors, for example, last year, like, plus 13, plus 14 for the season, and they're, like, one of the best teams ever. So you guys are, like, playing at an unbelievable clip. And two, the regular guy who sees it as, you know, three point guards, basically, and a 39-year-old, and you, they'd be like, well, why is this working? But why is it working? I mean, what, what about that group has been so good? I mean, it's, it's a lot of mid, guys in their mid-30s that, should, that shouldn't even be in the NBA anymore, but you guys are just killing it. I mean, what is going on? Um, I think it comes down to experience of those vets. Um, I mean, me and Yogi being kind of the young guys in that group, we kind of just try to fall in line with what those guys set up for us. Um, but just having the right spacing and, and creating the right opportunities for each other and making the right play and the next pass, I think is extremely important in this league. And if you guys can, if a team can do that kind of and let it flow like like music, then it can, it can create some great opportunities for guys. And as long as you can finish those plays, um, you're gonna end up in the plus, thankfully. So as long as those guys keep trying to make the right, right reads and put us in the right situations and we continue to finish those plays and, and make shots and hopefully continue. Okay, we know we got to get you back to your team soon, but you brought up music. What are your musical interests? Musical interests? Uh, I have a pretty wide range of things I like. Unfortunately, this season, I haven't really listened to too much new music. Um, <laughs> I just have it on shuffle and listen to some 
some oldies and do you ever build playlists I wish I really should that's one of those things I've said I'm gonna to do tomorrow every day for the last 26 years <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's time-consuming yeah it is and there's always gonna be one song you left off so eventually it just becomes your entire library right so um, but yeah it's it's been a lot of old old stuff that's kind of just bringing back memories I guess Dwight, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. We'll see you tomorrow at Star Wars night, Star Wars day, right? 1 p.m. at American Airlines Center. Dwight will be the guy wearing the Darth Vader mask <laughs> on the court. Sure. Right? Okay. Man, you guys are dark side. I had no idea it was one of the dark side guys. Pretty edgy. All right. Thank you to Dwight Powell for joining us. That was a great interview, Skin. Good job. Uh, I felt like we just sort of rode his coattails. Yeah. We, he's, he could have been interviewing us. He could. He should have been. He should have been. We wouldn't have been as great subjects as he. So he's got to kind of play his role, you know. Yeah, so yeah, for what sure. A, what a team player. Yeah, watch for him to uh, to have a nice few games following this though with the BSBS theory. It's what we do. But uh, okay, skin. It's a little. It's it's story time. Okay. Oh, I like this. Should I get like some cocoa and a blankie? Or Absolutely. What? Yeah. Get some bourbon. <laughs> that would be, yeah, relax. we're yeah, back to the this. bourbon. I love this. Okay, so one year ago. The Mavericks signed a player named Harrison Barnes, mm-hmm. who spent four years as an important piece, but just kind of a, a, a peripheral piece of a very good team. Didn't get a lot of shots, didn't, wasn't, didn't have a lot of responsibility. He came here to Dallas, where the expectation was that because of things they saw on tape, because of things they saw him do, while playing with the Warriors, the Mavericks believed that he could become a guy that you can run stuff through. Mm-hmm. That's a very daunting task for most players. Most players are not ready to do that sort of thing. And generally, whenever a player's already been in the NBA for four years, we're very quick to say he is what he is. Right. Last year, Barnes did one thing very well, and that was create his shots. He learned how to get the ball on the block, at the high post, or at the top of the arc, or whatever, and take one or two dribbles, and take a fadeaway, a little pull-up. Sometimes he got to the rim, but pretty much he was like a mid-range jump shot guy last year. Everyone knew, including him, what he needed to do in order to become a more complete player. First, you got to get to the rim. Second, you got to get to the free throw line. Third, you got to shoot the three better. Fourth, you got to pass the ball. That is like a lot of stuff. Sure, yeah. It can take years and years and years and years and years for guys to do that. We're starting to see Barnes shoot more free throws. He averaged five and a half per uh, per game in November. Like that's big time. He averaged three and a half last year. Yeah, which and we all talked about that really needs to change. Yeah, whether it's getting calls he should have been getting or whatever, that's got to go up. Yeah, but in order to get calls, you got to get to the basket more. And he's doing that. He's doubled his drives per game. Wow. Last game against Brooklyn, career high in assists with six. Previous game season high assists and four. Hmm. Previous game tied a season high with three. That's Hmm. also big time. So. We're starting to see now 14, 15 months into the Harrison Barnes experiment. We're starting to see him make strides. Dennis Smith Jr. Right now, there's a lot of good and there's a lot of not so good. Yep. It's a lot of he's, – he's missing a lot of jump shots. He's not able to get to the rim consistently. When he does, he's finding it tough to finish among the big guys. He's committing a lot of turnovers. He has high assist games. He has low assist games. There's a lot of stuff coming at him for a very long period of time. He's only 19 years old. Barnes had the advantage of being 24 whenever he signed with the Mavs. Mm-hmm. Dennis is 19, mm-hmm. which means in five years he will be as old as Barnes is now. <laughs> I like this. Yeah, so all of these – there are a lot of holes in his game right now, but that's normal. I mean, he's 19, he's, he's 20, I guess, now. 
but this this thing development like we just talked to Dw- to Dwight Powell about this. This is Dwight's what fourth year, fifth year as a pro, mm, fourth I think that's year right. I think. Yep, and he's still figuring out a ton of stuff. And he, and he also came into the league a little bit older, right? Yeah, he was twenty two. Yeah, he was a four year right. player at Stanford. Yeah. Harrison Barnes was 24 when he came here, and he is still figuring out stuff. He's still got to get way better at stuff. Like, development is a very windy path. You're going to see Dennis have a 27-point game and then a six-point game. Mm-hmm. Like, in the same week, mm-hmm. it's, going to make your, it's going to make you pull out your hair. But just because you're not seeing progress doesn't mean that there isn't progress being made. And just because you see progress in the box score doesn't mean that he's correcting his weaknesses. You know what I mean? Yes, like, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of mirages. I think generally – we, as like a people, are desperate to be definitive, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Kristaps Porzingis is better than Dirk. <laughs> Giannis is the MVP. He's already the future of the NBA. The right. Si- the Sixers are going to be a dynasty. Right. These things feel safe to say now. But in the moment, we- we've said things before that have been wrong. Like, Andrew Wiggins is the next LeBron. Mm-hmm. A year ago today, Josh Jackson was the top college prospect. Right. Like, Andre Drummond was bad a year ago, and now he's like the, s- the centerpiece of the Pistons. They're second in the East or third in the East or whatever it is. Yes. Like, we're so wrong about stuff all the time, but then the, when the next time comes to make our hot take, like, we're confident about it, we're ready to go, you know, we're firing off these takes. Right. Like, I think that this, watching Dennis become who he is, watching Barnes become who he is, is forcing us to be patient, and I think that it's, it's tough for some people to grasp, like, Dennis might not be able to score going to his left for, like, three years. Like, it's not going to take two games. Like, he's, he's going to miss left-handed layups for the next five years. Like, right. this is how it's going to be. So you kind of have to just, like, accept it. It doesn't mean that one day he won't be able to finish left. Like, a year ago, Barnes couldn't get to the basket, and now he's leading the team in free throw attempts. Like, right. things change, but it takes a very long time. And I just – that is kind of my thing. Is like, we got to be just super patient. It could take years. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're dead right on this. And you brought up so many good points. And I, I get frustrated with – let me give you an example. Uh, there was a lot of consternation about the Mavs losing games at the end of the year and how it's going to affect their draft position. Well, number one, you don't know how ping pong balls are going to fall or whatever you want to call it. Um, number two, okay, so I, I kept being told last year that it was a quote-unquote eight-player draft. All right. I don't know what that means. Like what, there's only eight players available? I don't know. If you have the ninth pick, you don't even get to draft. Right, you're screwed. Okay, and boy, the Mavericks got lucky that uh, they picked – that the Knicks picked Nilakina who might end up being a really good player. I want to remind everybody, you are talking about 19-year-olds. Think back to when you were 19. Good God. There are so many things that can happen and that can change. And I would also say that I don't want to make any declarative statements after a quarter of the NBA season, but I got news for you. Donovan Mitchell and John Collins, I think they're going to be damn good NBA players. They look it, don't they? All right. They weren't taken in the top nine. They were taken in the teens. So I, and uh, I'm still very confident that Malik Monk is going to be a really good NBA player. Hell, he might even be Jason Terry. Dylan Brooks was a second-round pick. He's already starting. He's starting. So it's just like, you know, people make these declarative statements like you're talking about, about freaking 19-year-olds, all right? Are any of these guys going to be LeBron? No. There's one LeBron. Okay, those guys don't come around that often. There's one Dirk, all right? Those guys don't come around that often. And by the way... When Dirk was 20, everyone in the NBA thought he sucked. He was getting booed. He was getting booed by you people. I got it. Can I tell you? Can I tell you guys this story right quick? This is you. You brought out a you people. <laughs> you damned listeners. There's a there. Uh, this is I have a Steve Nash story. Okay? okay. So when Steve Nash first got here, I'm a as you know I'm a lifelong Mav fan. Watched every 
I don't, I, I've probably missed five games. Like, I watch every game. Me and my dad had season tickets. I watched all that terrible basketball in the 90s when they aired it. Some of those games didn't get aired, right? Um, so, when Steve Nash first got here, first game that him and Dirk played together was at Seattle. And I remember, if I'm correct, I'd have to go back and look at this. Steve Nash made his first three-point shot. And I jumped off my couch and I pumped my fist in the air. I was like, we finally got a guy that can shoot. I can't believe it. I'm so tired of watching guys brick shots. We got a guy that can shoot. I'm so happy about this. Well, then Steve Nash went through terrible lows with the team. Had doubted himself, okay? I need to talk to Al Whitley about this. For those that don't know, you know, one of our head equipment guys, Al Whitley, grew up with Steve Nash. Came here to Dallas with Steve. Stayed with the team when Steve left. Everybody loves Al. Al's great. But there was a real popular bar on Lower Greenville called Mix. Mix was a bar that, it was a DJ bar, really. They had a different DJ every night that was up in this perch over the bar. The bar could maybe jam-packed, maybe hold 100. But it was a cool little spot to go before you did other things. And I had a bunch of DJ friends, so I was at Mix all the time. Well, in 2000, or I guess this would be 99, nobody's watching the Mavericks, okay? Everyone thinks the Mavericks suck, mm-hmm. okay? But I'm watching them, and I'm watching, and I'm standing in this bar, and as far away from me as you are right now is Steve Nash, and he's with three buddies. Now, I didn't know Al Whitley at the time, but I would bet a million dollars Al was standing there with him. And no one is approaching Steve Nash. I know more people at this bar than Steve Nash knows, all right? He's just not a big deal yet. Okay, and I look over at him and think about how presumptuous this is. I'm a little bit older than Steve Nash. Think about how presumptuous and probably cocky this was of me to do it. But I walked up to Steve Nash and I said, dude, don't listen to all these dumbasses in town. You're a baller. We've needed you forever. I'm so happy you're here. I want you to keep your calm. This random guy is giving him a pep talk in a bar. Okay, but I'm doing this because I feel I want to do it and I feel like he needs it right? I, I went up and I gave him, you know, a little 30 second pep talk, told him I believed in him, how much I loved the Mavericks. And I was excited to have him. And man, you, you, everyone now knows what a great guy Steve Nash is. Nash is like, Oh, thank you so much, man. I mean, he practically hugged me. Mm-hmm. He didn't know me. Right. But the whole point was his confidence was low and he needed to be built up. And so once he settled into his groove, what? Who saw an MVP coming down the pike? He's one of the single greatest players of his generation. He's a Hall of Famer that was struggling in his – I mean, at that point, he was probably, what, 23, 24? He'd been in the league for like three or four yeah, years. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look. But he was the 96 draft. Yes, so. with the same draft as Kobe, right? Yeah. So he's still struggling. And the whole point is, but, dude, everyone knows what his work ethic is. Everyone knows what he is. And he developed into the guy that he is. So it drives me crazy as we're looking at this current draft, and I hear people go – well, man, Mo Bamba, he doesn't have any uh, – he's only going to be this. And I'm like, what? He's 19. What are you talking about? Do you happen to know what his work ethic is? Do you know how much he loves basketball? Do you know how he takes coaching? If you already know this stuff and you know it's terrible, okay, I get it. I doubt anyone who's making these declarations knows that. Well, and who is who they are at 19 anyway? Nobody. Uh, no one. Maybe LeBron. Once a generation, yep. and he still hadn't scratched the surface as to what he was going to be. So – just relax. Quit trying to be Skip Bayless. You don't need to make declarative statements about the world, right? Let it happen. The kid has a ridiculous athletic ability, loves basketball, and is not out there partying every night. That's what you want to draft. Yeah. And so I'm with you. I love, I love it. You're so on point here. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, too, like, it would be one thing 
if guys like Barnes and Dennis, and I mean, we know them better than a lot of people that listen do, just because we see them all the time. Like, it'd be one thing if they were just like in complete denial, like, no, I'm I'm fine, I'm finished product. Right. But like, you hear Dennis talk about what he needs to get better at, and you hear Barnes, who all year last year was like, I need to shoot more free throws. He'd score 25. Well, I only got six rebounds. He'd get 10 rebounds. Well, I only shot three free throws. Shoot eight free throws. Well, I only had one assist. Like, yeah. He knows what he needs to get better at. Yeah. You know, Dennis knows what he needs to get better yeah. at. And the coaching is available for them to do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And their work ethic yeah, is there. Yeah, their, their player development guy, Mike Procopio, is like Kobe Bryant's guy. Yes. Like, God, Sham God is like a legend. Yes. Like, Barnes credits him for so much of his success. Like, these guys know what they're doing, and, and they've bought in. And I think a lot of that comes from Dirk, mm-hmm. who is a relentless workhorse. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's very aware of his own weaknesses, even today, you know, his own limitations. And in order to improve, I think you have to be willing to admit and accept that you are not perfect. And right. I think a lot of a lot of NBA athletes do feel that way. Like, I'm good. And I plus shot. they've had everybody tell them how awesome they are their exactly. whole lives. Exactly. But the Mavericks have built a team of a lot of guys that weren't drafted, mm-hmm. a lot of guys that were taken in the second round. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like their entire starting lineup every night is like, you know, a couple lottery picks, but then a couple guys, Wes Matthews, undrafted, solid right. measure. He didn't even get in the NBA until he was 30. Right. But even Barnes, lottery pick, seventh overall, he was the fifth guy on the Warriors. He cost them the finals. He's never going to live up to the max contract. Right. Dennis, otherworldly talent. He's injury prone. He is, and he's messed up. He's got attitude problems. His team can't win. Like, all of these guys hear a lot of negative stuff all the time, and it's followed them around for their whole career. They had low expectations or whatever. So I think that the Mavericks have built a team of guys that hear a lot of bad stuff all the time, and that motivates them to get better, yep. I think. You know, yep. it's, it's not a lot of God's gift guys walking around in that locker room. It's yep. a, everybody is like blue-collar, work hard, starts from the top with Dirk, works all the way down through the roster. There's something to getting the right guy. Dirk has set the tone for 20 years, just like Tim Duncan did in San Antonio. They flashed a stat the other night when LeBron got kicked out of his first game ever. Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili have never been kicked out of an NBA game. Really? Ever. Wow. And it just goes to show you – you know, the right kind of guy. I'm not saying guys that get kicked out of games are bad. I'm not saying yeah. that, but it just that, – that struck you as – I get it. I get why they fit in. You, you said something – we should get Don Cockstein on yeah. this uh, podcast sometime. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't know who he is. He's the, I guess, team psychologist. Is team that the yeah, – you know, think, he's done the same thing for the Rangers. I know a lot of our local sports fans loved Derek Holland when he was with the Rangers. Derek gives Don so much credit to helping him when he needs help. But he'd have some great stories about getting people's minds right. Maybe we should do that. I love that you brought this topic up. I think it's a great topic, and I think it really applies to our team specifically. Yeah, dude, I'm 26 now. Dennis Smith Jr. will not be my age until 2023. <laughs> and like, the world won't even exist then. It won't. It, it was supposed to end five years ago. Right. It definitely not end. My Mayan uh, calendar is broken. i got to look at yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Oh, yeah, just like Dennis is trying to get better at uh, basketball, man, I have a lot of improvement to do at podcasting. I'm aware. Yep, and I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you with some of the coaches that I work with for my podcasting okay. game, and let you work with them. You'll get love pros them. army in here. To yes, me and, yes. And you know what else? I just realized these are such good conversations. We need to do a live show. Okay. So yeah. I, I want the people that are downloading this or subscribing or listening to hit us back on Twitter and let us know. Do you want to be a part of a live show sometime? I'm sure we can find a good sponsor. Absolutely. A lot of good map sponsors. Way to can, put our people on the spot in this office. Oh, they can get it done. Yeah, for sure. Can do people. Yeah, absolutely. They got, we all got the right attitude around here and don't you forget it. Yeah. Okay. That is all we got for you this week. Thank you for tuning in and uh, we will be back with you next week. Numbers on the boards. Bam. 
numbers on the boards with Jeff Skinwade and Bobby Corella. It's Corella. 